couple of things I want to say before I get into the sermon this morning. I've never been as conflicted about preaching a sermon as I am right now. I know what I'm supposed to preach. I didn't know it was going to be Family Sunday. I thought about totally changing my sermon or somehow putting it off for another week. But I can tell you I'm as certain as I ever have been that the Lord wants me to go ahead and speak this in front of our children. I have changed a little bit of what I have to say based upon the fact I knew the kids would be in here. I also want to say that this one sermon is the reason, this one sermon, this one message, this one thought that I'm going to share here in a bit, is the reason that the entire sermon series was built. It all hinges on this one single sermon. And as I was really conflicted on God, what do I, you know, I thought, I thought about backing out and just calling a men's meeting sometime and preaching this to men only. Then this morning as I was studying, I got a text from Branson, Missouri, Hollister to be specific. From somebody who never texts me. Who said, I was up praying at 7.30 this morning for our services and God directed me to Crossway Church of Derby, Kansas and told me to pray for you and for your service this morning and tell you to preach on. God has a way of letting us know that we're where we're supposed to be. And so, I pray this morning I'd have your undivided attention as I teach the principle of tending the garden. To bring you up to speed in quick two-minute intro, last sermon series, the last sermon of this series was titled Guard the Garden. And if you did not get the, were not here or have not heard the sermon, I encourage you to pick it up and listen to it. We learned the principle that as men, we have the responsibility of guarding our garden making sure that the serpent does not get in and deceive our families and wreak havoc upon our homes. That we have a responsibility to make sure that we are not sowing the wrong seed in the garden that God placed us in. And there was a lot of focus on that last week about what to keep out of the garden, of what to weed out of the garden, of how to guard the garden and protect the garden. But if we take everything that we put in place last week, last part of this sermon series, it really leaves us with a pile of dirt. In other words, the weeds are gone. And that's a good thing. It's hard to plant a good, healthy garden when there's a lot of weeds. In other words, we are ready to be aware that there are serpents that want to get in and ruin the garden, and so we are on guard about that. But there's more to having a healthy family, a healthy home, a healthy life, a healthy garden, than simply keeping junk out. You've got to know what to put in. You have to know how to tend the garden. Genesis chapter 2 In verse 15, I'll just read one verse this morning. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend 
and to keep it. We have a duty to tend the garden. We have a duty to tend the garden. This word tend is found a lot of places in the Bible. It often speaks of a shepherd tending the flock. It comes from the old English word tendon, spelled with ease, from where we get our term tendon, spelled T-E-N-D-O-N. Tend literally means to stretch. We have its derivative of words like extend, attend, or even bartend, which hopefully none of you are doing. It means to stretch out. That's what it means. Extend a hand. To tend. It means to stretch. It means to give of yourself. It means to reach out and to help. The very first time we see the word tend used in the Bible is when God tells Adam to tend the garden. We see Jacob tending the flock in Genesis 37. We see Moses tending the flock. We see David tending the flock. We see the risen Christ tell Peter three different times, tend my sheep. Tend is a tiny little four-letter word that you will find throughout all of the Bible. God speaks of tending to us. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11, He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms and carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. In Ezekiel 34 verses 11 through 16, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. There they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. This word tending comes with the, 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 the meaning of re- extending ourselves, reaching out, stretching out to care for others. Now, men, we have been told by God to tend the garden. And as we looked at last time we were together in this sermon series, we have a garden to keep. I have a garden to keep. You have a garden to keep. Men, we have a garden that we need to be tending to. And I want to say, before getting to tending, God has something to say about marriage. Some of the things that I'm going to deal with this morning are the types of things that a lot of times people say, I didn't come to church to hear that. Well, you probably didn't. I guarantee you didn't, to be quite frank. But here's the problem. God is the designer of marriage. It was His idea. 
He's the one who made man and said it's not good that He is alone. He's the one that took woman out of His rib and fashioned her into His helper. He's the one that said a man and a woman shall leave their father and mother and cleave together and the two shall be one flesh. The family is His idea. It is His design. And in the church, somehow, some way, we think the church shouldn't be speaking on this. That somehow, if you want to know how to fix your marriage, if your marriage is on the rocks, if, you're, if you are totally unsatisfied in your marriage, that what you need to do is run out to a marriage counselor. Now, there is a time and place for marriage counseling. But my point is this. The church should absolutely not be silent on matters of the marriage. And we need to be able to get right where we're living and talk about real life stuff. And not just try to broad brush everything with the love God and be a loving husband and bring your family to church. There are people that do their best to be a loving husband. They bring their family to church. They try to pray. They, they try to be faithful to the things of God. And yet their marriages are empty. They are unsatisfied. Their husband and wife feel like they are millions of miles apart because we're afraid as a church to get right down to where we're living and say, you need to understand some things about how you're supposed to treat your wife. And if anybody has a right to speak on the marriage and the relationship between a husband and a wife, it is God and God's Word. And I intend to do that this morning. God has something to say about marriage. What does it look like to tend the garden? We're going to look at three verses and then that will be the end of uh, flipping around this morning in the Word of God and we'll get into the text. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. We've seen the Old Testament look at tending and guarding the garden. The New Testament also has much to say about marriage to both men and women directly. Somebody beat me there. Normally I don't get beat to the text. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25, 26, and 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands, love your wives. Understand something, God does not command us to do things without a purpose. And God does not command us to do things that we automatically do on our own. You'll never find a single passage in Scripture that commands you or I to eat, or that commands us to breathe, or that commands us to sleep. We do those things naturally. I'm going to breathe or else I will die. You don't have to tell me to breathe, I'll do it. You don't have to tell me to eat. Eventually I will eat when I get hungry enough. You don't have to tell me to drink water because eventually once I get thirsty enough, I'll drink water. But the things I don't do naturally that I'm supposed to do, you've got to tell me to do. We have to understand something, men. There is a command that we have to love our wife. You are commanded to love her. And love is much bigger, 
than a word. It's much bigger than saying, I love you. It is something that we do. And how are we to love our wives, the Bible says, as Christ loved the church? As Christ also loved the church. So how does Christ love the church? First of all, I want to say that Christ loves the church initially. What I mean by that is, He's the one that loved us first. The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. He's the one that pursued us. It wasn't us pursuing Him. It was Him pursuing us. I believe, brothers, that we have a responsibility to initiate love in our marriages. I still believe it is the responsibility of the man to pursue the woman. It is the responsibility of the man to go after her the same way that Christ came after us. He initiated the conversation. He initiated the relationship. He came after us. He cared for us first. He loved us first. And because of that, we love Him in return. Initially. I believe that we need to be involved at pursuing our wives. He was the conflict solver. Initially. We had a conflict. We were at odds with God. We were enemies of God, the Bible says. We were children of the evil one, the Bible says. We, we were lost and undone, enemies of God, doomed forever and eternity in hell, separated from a God that loved us. There was a problem we couldn't solve. And initially, Jesus said, I will step in and I will solve this problem. Men, we have a responsibility to be engaged in the problems of our families engaged in the problems that our wives face, engaged in the problems that our children face. Too many men. Okay, I'm just going to say it. Too many men want to sit on their couch and flip the TV channel and let their wives deal with all the problems they face. Let the wives deal with the homework. Let the wives deal with taking care of what, how this is going to be handled. Let their wives deal with this situation. Let their wives deal with the conflict in the home. If it doesn't involve me, then you just take care of it. Let me tell you something. If our Savior treated us that way and didn't get involved in our conflict, we would be hopelessly lost. And the Word of God says, as Christ loved us, so we ought to love our wives. You need to be involved in fixing the conflict of your home, sir. And not just be sitting passively. Jesus is engaged in the needs of those that He loves. Not only did He love us initially, He loved us selflessly. He lived and died and lives again for His bride. He laid down His life. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. You know, in John chapter 15, when Jesus was talking about love, he, many of you know the statement, greater love has no man than this, and he does what? Lay down his life for his friends. Did you know that when Jesus said that in John chapter 15, the word life has nothing to do with when you die? Literally, if you want to know the word he actually used, we translate it life because it sounds nice, but literally what Jesus said was soul. Look it up. He said, greater love has no man than this that he lay down his suke, soul, 
for his friends. But that sounds like an odd thing. How do you lay down your soul for somebody? Well, you have to understand what the soul is for us to make sense of it. The soul is the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. You want to know when Jesus laid down His soul for us, it was long before He laid down His body for us. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember, Luke records Jesus saying this statement, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And you know He prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. See, that was His will. But then He said, nevertheless, Lord, Your will be done. That was the laying down of His soul. And the Bible says, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. That's how you are to love your wife. Most men would die before they would lay down their soul for their wife. They would die before they would lay down their mind, their will, their emotions for what was best for her. Us men like to puff out the chest and remind our ladies we're the head of this home. I'm the boss around here. I wear the pants in this family. God's given me the authority. God has commanded us to lay down our will, our emotions, our mind for what is best for her. You see, it's the beautiful, I call it the beautiful checkmate. God's commanded the wife, and I'll deal with, we'll, we'll look at God's commands to, to women in the weeks to come. But God has commanded the wife to be submissive to the husband. But then God's commanded the husband to lay down his will, his emotions, his desires for what's best for her. Now, how do we get anywhere? Through the power of Christ. Through two people listening to God. Through two people being selfless. The problem with so many men, especially Christian men, is they become selfish tyrants of their home rather than selfless lovers of their wives. And here's the facts. The facts are that most people are unsatisfied in their marriages. 17% of marriages are happy. 17%. About 50% of marriages end in divorce. And they did a recent study um, that really has, has refuted the argument that the divorce rate is the same in the church. Now, the divorce rate is the same amongst people who say they're Christians. But the divorce rate among people who go to church once a week is like 20% compared to 50%. So if you go to church once a week as a family, you have a 30% greater chance of not getting divorced. But here's what they have found in that same study. The percentage of divorces that are happy is still the same. It's just that most people that go to church once a week, they have a stronger conviction about the Word of God and they're willing to stick out of marriage a lot longer than the rest of the world and so they don't get divorced. But that's not because they don't want to. It's because they have convictions about it. And here's the, the, the very general statistics across the board. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Of the other 50%, only one-third of them report being happy. 
one-third reports being happy enough. In other words, it could be a lot better, but satisfied, you know, on a scale of zero to ten, we'll mark a five. And then 17% are totally unsatisfied. They're just staying in the marriage. And that percent is much higher in the church. So why are marriages so dissatisfied? We have got to deal with this. I'm going to tell you something, men. I think it's our fault. I think it's our fault. We're the head of the home. We're the one that God's placed to lead this ship. And if the ship's not going where it should, don't point your finger at your wife. Don't point your finger at your job. Don't point your finger at your kids. Look yourself in the mirror. What I want us to see about the love of God, how does Christ love the church? This is the important. See that word sanctifying her? Sanctifying her? That means continually. That means that when He loved us and saved us, He didn't stop there. He continually sanctified us. He's continually building us up and making us better and teaching us more and leading us from glory to glory and from faith to faith. He's continually building us. That's how we are to love our wives. And here is where we miss it. We quit building up our wives, amen? We quit flirting with her. We quit building her up. We quit making her feel good. We quit making her know how much we love her. And then all of a sudden, our relationship grows cold and we're wondering, why in the world don't we feel like we used to? And both parties know it. The, 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 the wife feels distant. She feels unloved. She feels out of the loop. She feels like she's not part of his life. And, and, and he wonders why she's not so much attracted to him like she used to be. And they live in the same house. But the relationship looks nothing like it did when they fell in love with each other and couldn't wait to get married. Because you and I, brothers, have a responsibility to continually love our wives. To speak words of truth to her and words of faith and words to build her up. That He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water. Notice this, by the Word. By the Word. That's conversational. That's relationship. God gives us His Word to speak to us. God is a relational God. God doesn't just want us to see Him as some distant God who does His own thing on His own time and every now and then comes down to see what we need and meets our needs. He's a God that wants to walk with us. He wants to talk with us. And He does it through the conversation of His Word. He does it through the conversation of His Word in our hearts as we pray continually as we walk with Him each and every day. But we men, we don't like to speak. We don't understand the importance of words in our marriages. And here's where most men fail. They quit building up their wife. And she's now trapped in a prison cell of loneliness. Women tend to be more concerned about their marriages than men. They buy the most books on marriage to try to improve them 
and they initiate the most marriage counseling. I believe in my 14 years of pastoring and the last six years of really getting engaged in, in serious counseling, I believe, if my memory serves me right as I stand here before you and before God, that only one time in all of those years has there ever been a male initiate marriage counseling with me. It's always the wife. Always. See, this is, I know it's going to get a little real this morning. Ladies, this isn't going to be a good morning for amens, and men, it's not going to be a good morning for amens for you either. But there is a real problem of marriages that are empty and unsatisfied. And we have got to look this thing square in the eyes and deal with it, men. Why do women seem so dissatisfied with marriage? What is it that they want from us men? What bothers them so much about marriage that most are willing to risk their family's futures to escape the marriage they're in? Simply stated, women leave men when they are neglected. Women leave men when they are neglected. Neglect accounts for almost all of the reasons that women leave and divorce men. These are some of the top statements women make when they feel like they need to get out. Why? I hurt all the time because I feel alone and abandoned. My husband is no longer my friend. The only time he pays attention to me is when he wants you fill in the blank. He is never there for me when I need him the most. When he hurts my feelings, he doesn't apologize. He lives his life as if we weren't married. He rarely considers me. We're like ships passing in the night. He goes his way and I go mine. My husband has become a stranger to me. I don't even know who he is anymore. He doesn't show any interest in me or what I do. I see this all too often with men and their wives. We are totally unengaged in our wife and her life. It's all about us. Remember when you were dating how fun it was to go watch her try on clothes? And now you'd rather let her go by herself so you could watch a bunch of men tackle themselves. Here's the problem. It does send a message, sir. It sends a message. You're not interested in her anymore. She's only there to serve your needs when your needs need met. She don't care about making her feel good. You don't care about sacrificing your day and the things you want to build her up because your life has become about you. And you come into a home where it's dissatisfying and you know there's a rift there and you just, why'd she change? What's wrong with her? She's not attracted to me like she used to be. 
Would you be? You know the things that God designed women to need are different from the things that we men need. At least in the capacity that we need them. There's no question about it. God designed women to to be more emotionally needy than men. And God designed men to be more physically needy than women. Doesn't mean that we don't both have some of the same needs, but when you look at how that balances out, women are much more emotional beings than men. And if you're not investing in her emotionally, if you are not building her up emotionally, if you are not bringing her into your life emotionally, it's no wonder she feels like he doesn't care about me. What are women looking for in men? Someone who takes their feelings into account when decisions are being made. Someone to whom they feel emotionally connected. Now, I want to ask you something, sir. Can you honestly say, can you honestly say that you know with a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that your wife truly feels emotionally connected to you? If the answer is no, I'm not saying she has another man in mind. I'm not saying there's a name and a face. But I'm telling you something. Your wife dreams of another man. She was created to need to be emotionally wanted and to be emotionally cared for. And when you check out of her life and you check out of your responsibility to to meet those needs in her life and, and, and to care for her, inside she begins to grow cold and distant. And it's not her fault, it's yours. It's ours. It's mine in my marriage. Sir, it's you in your marriage. Women usually express no hope that their husbands will ever understand what frustrates them. You know why? Because we husbands don't listen. We've taught them that. I don't really want to listen to your needs. I'm not interested in how you feel. Call your friends and tell them how you feel. If you don't start listening to your wife, sir, somebody else will. Somebody else will. Someone else will show enough interest in her interests. She'll find somebody to talk to. Brothers, we need to look inward and ask ourselves, can our wives really talk to us? Can they really talk to us? Do they really have freedom to be emotionally engaged with us? The problem is, is that from the perspective of most women, their marital problems are created by their husbands who do little or nothing to solve the problems. And I've seen this a hundred times. Wives tend to see themselves as the major force of resolving conflicts. And when they give up the effort, the marriage is over. That's normally what happens. She says, I've tried this, I've tried this, I've waited, I've prayed, I've done this. And and when she decides she's done, it's over. Because the man has never put any effort to fix what needed to be fixed. Because he's not listening. And men, we 
We get frustrated. Frustrated because we feel like, well, I work hard and I, and I make money and we've got a home and, and, and she should just be satisfied. No. Your wife needs more than just her physical care to be taken care of. She needs to be loved. She needs you to be engaged in her life. She, she needs you to know when she hurts and to know that you care about it. And that you want to help solve that problem and that you're involved in her life. That you have a responsibility to build her up. And all too often, us men, we get frustrated. We're praying. and You know, we just want God to change her. It's not her that needs change. It's the marriage. And all too often... We are people who will pray about God, asking God to do something in a marriage that we checked out of a long time ago. If you want God to bless your marriage, then you've got to work on your marriage. You cannot sit on the sideline with your arms folded and say, God, fix her. God, fix him. You have got to get in and you have got to get to work and you have got to be involved and you've got to be committed and you've got to be connected and then God has something He can work with to bless. But if you're not putting anything in God's hands and you're just asking God to do a miracle and something you won't do anything for, you're going to find out that you're never going to get anywhere in your marriage. God's not going to answer that prayer because God won't bless what we refuse to work on. One study says the most common reason women give for leaving their husbands, it isn't sexual immorality, it isn't adultery, it is mental cruelty. But the mental cruelty they describe is rarely the result of their husband's efforts to drive them crazy. It's usually husbands being indifferent. Failing to communicate. And demonstrating other forms of neglect. Men, we have got to invest in our wives. We have got to continually build them up. There's an illustration I've heard about a man and, and this idea of marriage and, and his wife that I think us men might be able to relate to. Consider your life, sir, like a house. It's got a lot of different rooms in it. And us men, we like to compartmentalize our lives. Here's my work. Here's my children. Here's my sports. Here's my hobbies. Here's my passions. Here's my wife. And what we like to do is just go from one room to the other and deal with that room. Everything else seems to fade away. Everything else right now, I'll get to you in a little bit, but I'm going to deal with this one room. And once we deal with that room, we're ready to go to the next room. We compartmentalize our lives. And when we have time to get to the room, the wife room, then we can give the illusion that, you know, what do you want to say? 
What, do you, what, 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 what happened today? We're guilty a lot of times of not even listening because we're actually thinking about getting to the next room, but we're just trying to give her a feeling that she has her time. And a lot of times, men, when we go into that room, there's an ulterior motive. It's not just that there's something we, we want to share with her, it's something we want to get. And all too often, she sees through that ulterior motive. And she understands it's not really me that he wants, it's just something that I have. And once you make your wife feel like it's not her that she wants, but it's just something that she has, many of you right now are living what I'm preaching. Now here's the problem. Nowhere does the Bible ever say that a man and his children shall be one flesh. Nowhere does the Bible ever say that a man and his work will be one flesh. Nowhere does the Bible ever say that a man and his passions will be one flesh. But it does say this. Man and his wife shall be one flesh. And your wife was never meant to be a room in your house. God designed her to be part of everything that you are. And your wife does not want to feel like she's reserved to a little room in your life. She wants to feel like you want her and need her in every room with you, right beside you, helping you, that you care about her input, that you care about her feelings, that when you make decisions, you want to know how she feels, and that she is part of your life, not a room in your life. This morning, is your wife a room? Or is she one flesh? One flesh. Husbands, we can only become emotionally connected with our wives. We can only stay emotionally connected with our wives by inviting them into each room of our house. And I want you to understand something. You might have a room in your house that is a muscle car in the garage. That's fine. And you might invite her in. And she might say, no. <laughs> And that's fine too. But when she begins to see you've got secret rooms in your life, she's not allowed there. This is my turf. You don't come here. You don't cross this line. You're sending the wrong message to her, sir. She wants to know that you love her so much. Your arms are open that you, honey, you can come anywhere with me. I want you to be part of my life. Does your wife feel emotionally connected to you this morning? Bring her into your life. All of it. Here, emotionally, is where she learns she's important to you. The second thing I'm going to tell you to do this morning is build her up. Build her up. She needs to know she is wanted by you. And if you don't build her up, someone else will. Men, our children need to see us building up our wives. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you should never joke with your wife. I think you should, actually. I think it's good to laugh together. But I want you to listen to me carefully, sir. I'm about done this morning. I'm just so close to being done. So just give me five more minutes of your time. You be careful what you joke about with your wife. The Bible teaches that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A lot of times us men will actually have a jabbing joke that's really trying to get at something, but we hide behind it as a joke because we're cowards. 
You be careful what you joke about with your wife. You be careful what you joke about in front of your children. Don't be teasing her about other men. Shame on you if you do that. Shame on you. To that wife, if that's you, I am sorry you have had to sit through that garbage. I hope that this morning your husband will repent of treating you wrong, joking about you with things he has no business joking with you about, jabbing at your inner self and making you feel small. You be careful, sir. You need to remember something. Before your wife is your wife, she is God's daughter. Some of you have heard me say it before. The thought of somebody punking my daughter, being mean to her, belittling her, speaking words of, of, of ridicule and contempt to her, it, it puts a fire in my belly. How much more a holy God when we belittle His daughters. We need to be building them up. And if you're joking, it needs to be positive joking. Not demeaning. Not hurtful teasing. You need to build her up. And if you don't, someone else will. You need to flirt with your wife. It's going to tell you that you need to. I said at the beginning of this, I know these aren't the types of things you come expecting to hear at church, but if God's the designer of marriage, we ought to speak on it. Your wife needs to know you, you care about her, you're attracted to her, that you love her. And I believe your children need to know it too, fathers. It's no wonder so many marriages grow cold. Relationships grow indifferent. We've been foolishly deceived into thinking, well, I told her I loved her when I married her. I work hard, so what else does she want? I'll tell you what else she wants. It's not about you. What she wants is to feel important. That's what she wants. She wants to feel like she still sweeps you off her feet. She wants to feel like you think about her because you do think about her. She wants to know that you care about her and that you're interested in her and that you just want to talk to her. You just want to be around her. Does your wife know that this morning, sir? If not, I'm begging of you for the sake of your marriage. Turn the ship around. Flirt with your wife. Just make sure it's her that you're flirting with. I'll give you an example. I still flirt with my wife, believe it or not. My kids know it. I'm not ashamed to tell you I know it. Last week we had camp meeting. My wife sent out a text to everybody. A group text just inviting people to come to church. And she invited me. I thought it was funny. So I texted her back, said, I think I'll be there. She said, sent thumbs up or something. Well, at the same time she was texting me, Josh Bush was texting me, and he said, Who's singing tonight? And I told him who was singing, and he said, Okay, and then she sent me that thumbs back, and I just sent I just was going to send her a quick little message. They said, as long as you're there for my eyes to feast on, I'm going to be on the front row enjoying every minute of it. I did. I hit send on that baby and Josh Brooks texted me back and said, what? Oh. 
True story. Just happened last week. So make sure it's your wife that you're flirting with. He said, man, I'm glad that was me and not some lady in your church. I said, I am too. (laughs) Guys, we need to build her up. Me and my wife, our marriage is not immune to the same trials that you all face. We'd be lying to you if I told you that there were never times that we've been married that we've went through uh, seasons where it felt like we were distant. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't take years to turn the fire back on. And brothers, we have a responsibility to be building up our wives. Just start today. Just start today. I want to encourage you, if there was anything, Joplin, if there was anything that we got out of this, what would it be? Well, first of all, I, want, I, I pray that this helps your marriages long term. But here's how it's going to happen. Not so much through simply listening. I I want to encourage you to do this. And for some of you men, it might be a terrifying thing. And I'm going to tell you something. I have done this with my wife. Sit down with a soft heart, with a willingness to listen, and ask the question, are you satisfied in this marriage? Give me a, a scale, zero being totally unsatisfied, ten being totally satisfied. Where are, you, where are we at? What, what's your perspective? I'm going to tell you something, guys. Some of you might be shocked to find out. You might hear that it's a three, and you're thinking, three? I thought we were at an eight. Ask her why. Talk to her. Find out where the conflict is, and be the initiator of, and the conflict solver. Don't throw up walls when you don't, don't don't invite her in to speak and then badger her when she tells you how she really feels. Listen. Go to work on it. Now, I'm telling you something. You can take a marriage that seems like it is all but over and you can see that thing revived and 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 and, and become greater than anything you ever could have asked or imagined. Talk to your wife. And finally this morning, how does the Lord love us? I'm going to ask our worship team to come and just sing a final song of closing. How does He love us? He loves us initially. He loves us selflessly. He loves us continually. And He loves us faithfully. It's her only that you need to be devoted to. Faithfully. In the good times and the bad times. When you feel like loving her. When you don't feel like loving her. You're commanded to love her. And faithfully. That means forever. That means I'm committed to this thing and to the end. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm looking for a way to make this better. I'm not looking for a reason to escape. I'm looking for a reason for us to stick this out and to make it better than we ever could have asked or imagined. Faithfully. Man, I love you. About two months ago, God really began to burden my heart for the Christian marriage. A lot of times, the stuff that we're given is not bad stuff, but it's just not as real as we need it to be. We try to say something without having to say it. We try to just get up and say, read your Bible and be a man of God and go to church and love your wife. 
and, and, and hope that that fixes what's going on in the home. Sometimes we've got to get specific about the real needs in the homes and why so many homes are falling apart because we have grown distant. Because we quit building her up. We quit making her feel special. We quit telling her how much we love her. We quit telling her how much she means to us. We quit making her feel like she's the most important thing in our life. And she eventually becomes to see she's not the most important thing in our life. It's time to stop it. It's time to repent. I thought about this message. I'm telling you, this was a hard one for me to preach. And I'm telling you, I toned it down because I knew the kids were in here. But I thought about it. And I thought, I don't even know what an altar call would look like on a thing like this. It's not necessarily the thing. I mean, I, I don't know how I'd handle it. When I, I had a friend come and challenge me three months ago. Really got me thinking about some of this stuff. He told me, he said, Joplin, you'd be shocked to find out some things if you sat down and asked your wife. And I took him up on the challenge. For me, it was a personal thing. It wasn't the type of thing I necessarily just... I need just some time to think on it. So I don't know if God's going to deal with you to, to respond, to come and pray, what it's going to look like. But if there's anything that you take from this message, it's to go home and talk to your wife. Talk to her. Ask her, what can you do different? What's her perspective of this marriage? Don't be afraid to do it, sir. It may be the best conversation you ever have. They're going to sing a final song to close us out. You're welcome to use these altars. Would you stand to your feet? Would you worship the Lord as we sing a closing song?